0: Yeah, here, we're fine. Cool.
1: Welcome to Get In The Garage. Welcome to Get In The Internet.
0: Get on the internet. We are doing this episode remotely using the Anchor app that Luke loves so much, and Zoom. It's a really good Skype's daddy.
2: App. Bringing friends together.
0: Yeah. Skype apparently is the worst now. They've literally screwed the pooch. They blew it. They
1: they had they had a ninety nine yard
0: head start and tripped at the finish line (laughs) they really did though i mean for real though yeah that's weird
2: i feel Um, like i feel like there's some like cable networks that still have like a skype like deal and they're like still rocking it but
1: but they're angry they're like god damn it why have we signed up for a three-year partnership
2: yeah but they're still like you know they're like talking about zoom it's bad
1: Look- All right, well, we only got 40 minutes of this call, so let's do it, baby.
2: All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we thought that
0: for this episode, we were going to talk about. We three kings of Oriental. But or really, the three kings of the blues BB King, Albert King, and Freddie King. Uh, I had Freddie. Jeffrey had Uncle Albert. And <laughs> Luke. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Had the blues boy. Um. So I don't know. We do. do we want to argue our cases? Are we gonna
2: we uh, argue who is the greatest king of the three? Well, I feel like that's like undisputed. Yeah. Undisputed. Yeah, it's like BB King's the best one. Like clearly, BB
1: King's he is the be- He's not my favorite, but he's the best one.
2: Yeah, clearly. You think so? Yeah. Yes. I don't know. His phrasing is like the best. It's the most original. He was doing it the longest. Yeah. Uh,
0: definitely... no, because because I thought I thought uh, Albert a long time.
1: I mean, a long time. Albert, I think, is a year or two older than BB King, but BB uh, King got famous when he was like probably 22 years old, and Albert King didn't do anything substan- substantive until he was like 40.
0: Interesting. I'm trying to figure out.
1: That... We'll get into it. I did a lot of research.
0: Yeah, all right, okay, okay. Well, because I have Freddie. Freddie, and I mean, he was born in 30, 1934.
2: Pretty crazy. Right, Pretty crazy. And, and
1: Albert's 23, and I think B.B. is 24 or 25. 25.
2: 25. 25.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so be yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, B.B. in terms of, like, a guitar player, what, what I think is really interesting is that, like, BB and Freddie, both pioneers for the semi-hollow body Gibson ES-335. ES standing for Electric Spanish. Uh, yeah. And then Freddie, I mean, I'm sorry, Albert, kind of a wild card. Lefty, playing a flying V.
1: Yeah. Him and Metallica. Him.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, Ray <laughs> Davies, Ray Davies. Albert King is the Metallica of uh, the blues. Uh, the, the blues guys.
1: <laughs> Don't put that on him. I love him too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Freddie King's the Megadeth. Um. Yeah. So uh, pretty. Yeah. There's just I mean, there
1: the big differences in styles, or or you know, just what I get from all three of them. It's I basically look at it like BB King's kind of like the sultry, sexy. Yeah. blues uh freddie king's kind of like more of the swinging blues a lot more up-tempo fancy jazzy stuff and then albert's more of the like soulful just rough and tumble
0: mm. i think the important thing too is i'm pretty sure albert is texas if i'm not mistaken albert is texas blues. Um, oh fred i
2: think freddie
1: freddie is texas
0: oh freddie's texas
1: yeah, Albert King was born in uh, Mississippi, but then made his made his bones oh. in St. Louis.
0: Right, 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 right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I confused those two. Yeah, so Freddie King, who is mine, so I feel a bit embarrassed. <laughs> I forgot that he's the Texas. But for some reason, I don't know. I thought Albert – well, because, here's the reason why, though, is because Albert King was good friends with Stevie Ray Vaughan, who is a famous, obviously, a very famous uh, Texas blues guitar player anyway. So Luke's giving me the timeout signal. No, no, I
2: was giving you a T for Texas. Oh,
0: oh, oh, okay. Dude, all right, all right. I thought Jeff, that
1: was like you know the universal out. <laughs>
0: Sorry.
1: Yeah, the, the universal, universal sign for full Texas. Full arm version
0: T <laughs> made with the arms. T <laughs> T's tea. for Texas. Um. Yeah. So. Um, so why don't you lead us off then, Jeff, with Albert? Like, what? Uh, what did you find? what did you find about him or slash do you find about him that you, you, uh, of, of the three, you kind of felt kind of, you know, a pull towards Albert. So why is Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll open with like a little three to five minute bio rundown. Okay. Um, he was born Albert Nelson, April 25th, 1923 on a cotton plantation in Mississippi. Okay. He was one of 13 kids and he grew oh. up picking cotton on the plantation uh, there in Mississippi and then in Arkansas, where his family moved to when he was eight years old, his first guitar was an instrument uh, that is known a lot in the deep south as a starter guitar. It's called a diddly bow. You basically take a slab of wood, you take a baling wire that they would use to bale hay, you put a <laughs> nail on either end, and then you put a, a beer bottle at, to act as like the bridge. And then you would strum up and down to make a droning note. And then you could use another bottle as a slide. So it was like a one string, kind of like a, you know, a washboard bass version of a guitar called a diddly bow, which I, I then went on a YouTube rabbit hole. There's some good diddly bow players. Like it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty cool. Like there's, there's people who can get some really, it's just a very soulful instrument. It's you know, cause it's one string. So it's very, um, it sounds like a voice and all that stuff. Exactly. Um, so
2: is that, What's that? Is that something like Jack White plays in "Uh, It Might Get Loud"?
1: Um, I have not seen that movie in about ten years, but I'm sure he is familiar with it.
2: Because uh, he like, it's basically like a one string. He like, made, like that. He makes it like shows how simple a guitar. Right, kind of. Play. Right.
1: So he, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Um. So then, in 1953, when he was 30, he moved to Gary, Indiana, and started playing music in earnest. And he started using the name Albert King as an attempt to be associated with BB King, who's already hot on the circuit. And he even, like, advertised himself as BB King's literal brother and claiming that he was born in the same town because they were both born in Mississippi but just not in the same area.
0: (laughs) Which like like, really, like, just playing it up, huh? Right, and, like,
1: pre-internet and and information, people are like, oh, I like this guy. He sounds just like his brother.
2: (laughs) I, can, um, I see the resemblance, you know. Yeah, I'm sure the <laughs> the, uh, the <laughs> harmonica player Sunny Boy Williams did the same thing. He literally just stole the original Sunny Boy Williams name. Oh yeah, yeah Sunny <laughs> Boy Williams, everything. the second. And then only later when people are like, "Wait, aren't you two different people?" He's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> we. I'm the second. <laughs> yeah, Junior. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. So yeah. So he was in Gary, Indiana, playing guitar. And went so far that like B.B. King's guitar is called Lucille and Albert called his guitar Lucy. <laughs> and and I guess B.B. King was annoyed by this because I'm sure that like there might have been gigs that he lost to Albert King because <laughs> they're like, well, we already have one of your brothers playing tonight. Um, but then when he got to know Albert, when they were like in their 40s, he said that he wasn't my bro- he wasn't my brother by blood, but he sure was my brother in the blues so those two guys ended up having a very close working relationship um, in their midlife till later life. Um, so then in the mid to late 50s, he formed a band that was popular in St. Louis alongside bands such as Ike Turner's Kings of Rhythm and Chuck Berry. So they'd play the same clubs, the same dates and stuff, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, Ike Turner, of course, went on to marry Tina Turner. He was, he's credited as being like the guy who, made the first rock and roll song "Rocket 88. That's right. Um, and then, so in 1961, when he was 36 years old, Albert King released his first hit called don't throw your love on me. So strong, which actually featured Ike Turner on piano, but then he had no other successes in the early sixties. And his only career prospects would be to continue touring the circuits of the South and Midwest so instead, he decided to settle down and move to Memphis and sign with Stax Records in 1966 hmm. to try to really make it as a full-time, you know, album-making artist instead of just playing six nights a week at bars and stuff. Um, when he signed with Stax Records, he started releasing singles featuring Booker T. and the MGs and the Memphis Horns as his backing band, which for those of you who love R&B music. You know, it's the it's a South version of the Motown sound. Their house bands were Booker T and the MGs and the Memphis Horns. And he also had Isaac Hayes playing as his piano player. Um, in 1967, a year after he signed to Stax Records, they compiled all the singles he had released in that year and they made it into the album package called Born Under a Bad Sign, which is my favorite thing that he's ever done. It's i mean it's one of the great electric blues records of all time
0: yeah and that song too arguably like one of the probably one of the most famous too i mean covered by cream
1: exactly
0: rory gallagher pretty well exactly yeah
1: um so that song title track written by booker t the organist and it was yep his biggest hit covered by Jimi hendrix and cream and so on and so forth um and the key people think the key to him having success during this time was because instead of just playing electric blues, very much kind of like the Howlin' wolf and the muddy, the muddy waters, he incorporated more of that contemporary R and B feel that was popular on radio and stuff at the time. Yeah. Um, then a year later, in 1968 he recorded a live album at Fillmore West, which he recorded. Po- I think it's only six, six ish tracks long, the actual like album that was released, but it's, taken from the three concerts he did at fillmore west and this puts things in perspective in 1968 he got paid 1600 dollars to play three shows at fillmore west (laughs) some
2: Um, of some of the best spoken word dialogues in that record as well like some of the best like dialogue ever put right he's just
1: like talking in between songs like, Oh um, man,
0: but my favorite is when he's talking about like, oh, the girl, she wants to go out with her boyfriend because she's got a brand new GTO and they say, I'm going down to the soda fountain. Mom says, then he's like, the, the mother says like, whoa, whoa, where do you think you're going? You know? And like, the mom won't let their daughter go out. She's got the blues. He keeps talking. And he's like, can you hear me? And like, that's the cool thing. He's like, that performance is so great, man. Like, his yeah. demand for the audience, it's very a la like, uh, like James Brown and very much, it's like, To me, uh, all three of these guys, like their backing bands were, I mean, that's the era of like, you better have a badass backing band and everything, like, because he could just go off the rails, start playing whatever the hell he wants, or just starts going off on these tangents, kind of like I am. And, (laughs) and, you know, it's just demanding the floor, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So speaking about backing bands, then in the early 70s, he... After embracing the R&B radio sound, he started to get into funk music and he recorded songs with the reformed version of the Bar Kays, which notably was Otis Redding's backing band and which four of the six original Bar Kays died in the plane crash with Otis Redding in, I believe it was 1967. Um, But the, the two remaining guys, surviving members, reformed the band and started being his backing band in the early 70s. Um, But then, unfortunately, in 1975, Stax Records filed for bankruptcy. And then Albert signed with a small label called Utopia and then toured the deep south. And he bought a fleet of taxi cabs, like kind of just doing things to make ends meet. And then in 1978, he signed with a record company called Tomato Records, which I know nothing about. But I'm sure at the very least, they must have a good logo, I would think. I would hope so. <laughs> and he recorded with New Orleans R&B producer Alan Toussaint, who's a very well-known New Orleans musician. Yeah. Then he took a four-year break from recording because his album sales in the mid to late 70s were really disappointing. And then he came back in the early 80s, like 83, started to make appearances again. And he got rid of anything in his repertoire that wasn't strictly 12-bar blues with guitar, bass, bass drums and piano like he dropped all the r&b stuff he dropped all the funk stuff and went straight to playing the blues i mean at this point he was almost 50 so it does make sense that he was kind of getting into his old man stage um and then in
2: 1983 yeah go ahead i was a strong blues revival in the 80s too so like what right Like people like went back to like like the nitty gritty of it because you kind of had like the new blues superstars coming out like you know your Stevie Ray Vaughan and that kind of thing.
1: So on that note, 1983, kind of his first thing back after not being not really doing anything for a couple years, he recorded a live broadcast concert for Canadian TV featuring then up and coming Texas blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm. It's called In Session. It's I mean, it's both amazing and a little underwhelming because they're kind of just like sitting in a room and shooting the shit. So it's like nothing mind blowing, but it's just it is really interesting to hear two greats just kind of shoot the shit and play some tunes.
0: And talk about somebody who, create like totally influenced Stevie Ray Vaughan, man, Albert right. King all day. Like, because that's the thing is like that was that you know people draw the comparison of like Eric Clapton to Freddie King. Uh, you know, um. Uh, Peter Green, maybe a little bit more BB King heavy. But then you look at a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan. And if you listen to early tracks of Stevie Ray Vaughan playing, you can hear that he doesn't sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's still throwing in a little Claptonish flavor, whatever, whatever. The realized version of Stevie Ray Vaughan's playing is almost like just a juiced up, more cocaine-fueled version of... <laughs> what albert king does because that's pretty much what it is man like when you ate when you a b those two it's like the same thing they're playing the same thing Mm. Stevie ray vaughn's just playing with a little bit more intensity and a little bit more well cocaine
1: right and so so sidebar here's just a snapshot of stevie ray vaughn's 1983 in march he was featured on david bowie's hit song let's dance which went number one in the u.s and the uk in june he released his debut album with double trouble texas flood and then in december he played with his greatest influence on live tv <laughs> like what that's a and he's like you know he's 29 i believe at the time so i mean what a crazy year for that dude yeah. Very much so. um so then at the the end of of albert's life he considered retiring in the late 80s due to health problems But he continued doing regular tours and, you know, playing at blues festivals and things like that. And he would travel in a tour bus, which was a converted Greyhound bus, with the words, I'll play the blues for you, painted on the side of the bus. (laughs) Um, And then he died of a heart attack in his Memphis home at the age of 69. Nice. (laughs) R.I.P. On December 21st, 1992, which was 28 years ago
2: today. (laughs) Oh, mm. very interesting. Um,
1: yeah. And he had played his final concert in Los Angeles just two, y- two days before that. And he was given a funeral procession featuring the Memphis Horns playing when the Saints go marching in and was buried near his childhood home in Arkansas.
2: That's
1: pretty dope. So that's like my bio rundown. Now I can talk a little bit about guitar shit. So Albert King was known as a he's a giant man. He was six and a half feet tall. He was two hundred fifty plus pounds. He w- had hands like the size of oven mitts. And he played a left. He was a left-handed person, but when he was young and he bought a guitar for the first time for like a dollar fifty in the forties, he didn't know anything about guitar, so he just bought the guitar and then flipped it upside down. <laughs> so he plays. If you're a guitarist or even if you're not guitarist, normally a guitar player has the thinnest, highest pitch strings are close to the floor and the thicker, lower pitch strings are closer to your shoulders. But since his was flipped over, his low strings were near the ground and his high strings were up near his shoulders. So when he did bends, instead of pushing, which is kind of the standard for a standard guitar, he would pull the strings into his palm. So it created these like wild bends where he would kind of just play a note. And if it was nowhere near being right, he would just bend it until it was right.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Like
1: he, he does like two whole step bends constantly, which is, it's hard enough to do when you're a really good guitar player in any style, but he would just play with this death grip on the guitar. And he pretty much forewent all of the low pitch strings and he stuck to like the same phrases just with different feel, different flavor, different timing on the higher pitch strings. So his guitar playing out of the three guys, I think he did the most with the least because his guitar was just an extension of his voice, of his big commanding stage presence. Yeah, And he would just wail on these kind of the same licks, just in different, different ways um also what i love about albert king giant man giant booming voice he like started sweating probably three hours before the show started (laughs) (laughs) Um, he would he would play with he basically looked like he looked like a bad guy in shaft like he he had like the wide lapels and he would he would play with a giant like fedora or other kind of hats on and large tinted glasses. And he would have a, he had a pipe a lot of the time. So he just looked like this character. Like I just love watching him when you go on YouTube and just watch videos of Albert King. Cause he just looks like he's both not trying in any way. And like, he's just playing his heart out and he's just like giving you every inch of him. So I mean, he when you said pick pick the guy you want to do, I immediately said I want to talk about Albert King because I don't care that he basically plays like eight notes on every song. He just like does his thing and it's so distinctive and it's so um it's so recognizable cuz the upside down guitar even. Like I'm a guitar player, I play a regular strung guitar, but I I do a lot of upstrokes instead of downstrokes and Cause I kind of just learned to play with personality rather than to play with precision. And that's how Albert King sounds. Cause he, when he's doing downstrokes, it sounds like he's playing upstrokes because how the guitar is strung upside down. So he has this very distinctive style that is really hard to replicate. And he's just, I mean, he was one of a kind.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. I'd say so for sure. What's interesting is too, is like, I mean, like, so moving forward, Uh, Albert and B.B. both had pretty, I mean, pretty decent-sized careers. You know what I mean? Like, they were kind of able to see their own success. I think Um, so. I
2: definitely think. um, B.B. definitely did. I think Albert King, too, like, definitely at least, in my opinion, I, I, like, agree with Jeff. I think he has the best blues albums, like, the best blues album of the 60s. Like, Born Under a Bad Sign is, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So classic beyond I think any any belief. Um, like BB B. King's records are great, but for me, like the solidness of how well recorded and and classic every single song is on that release is like and uh, with blues power, the live of the Fillmore record. Those two are like definitely in your, your Like um, if there was like a top twenty blues records, those two are definitely like towards you know the top. They're definitely in there, especially for guitar player wise, you know.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah. Bor- Born Under a Bad Sign is, I love it It's it's one of those records where the, the guitar is actually kind of low in the mix and sounds kind of thin, mm-hmm. but the rest of the arrangement is so powerful that I don't really even care Yeah,
2: I agree, and the solos when they do kick are are great and you can kind of like I mean they kick up in the mix, but like for the most part, like in the verse, it's not really like super guitar heavy I also like how they took the blues from like kind of like a shuffle, a thing that kind of had been shuffling like um, you know, smokestack lightning, even like don't It's got that like hiccup in it. We're born under a bad sign to me, and all those songs seem more angular and squared. Like the riff is like but dum doom, dum that kind of thing. Or it's more like squared in line and and um moves like that, as opposed to like shuffling shuffle blues, uh, jump blues, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really put like a back, a back beat, a back beat and groove into the blues, right? Would you say that would like kind of make definitely that's what I think uh, makes him different than everybody or the other two people that we're going to talk about, right?
0: I, I mean, I think I think Albert was really good at taking the country <laughs> blues out of the blues. Like, you know, what I mean, because like Muddy still had some country blues about him. and Wolf still had some country blues about him. I like Albert in the way that I kind of like BB a little bit later BB not early, early BB but like, you know, it's like, it's the Chicago blues thing, man. It's like that.
2: What I'm saying is that it's more, they take the blues and they make it more riff, riff based. So you can like jam, like it makes like a garage band more possible kind of thing, right? Because everybody can go, dum, 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 dum. Dum Dom Dum Dom Dom that kind of thing. Yeah, it's almost you know, around I mean? the riff. Yeah, I think it just put it into more like a classic rock context, like it was building that. And like then when you get led Zeppelin, you're like, oh yeah, of course. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that just a little heavier. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: I think what was really important for Albert's career is the fact that he didn't hit until he was over forty years old kind of like he didn't get into playing a style because he had no, he had no success playing old, blues. style. <laughs> yeah. So, right. may, I mean, I don't know, but maybe when he signed with Stacks, he's like, fuck it, nothing else is working. Like, I'm just going to hop with these young guns and I'm just going to like play their things. I'm, I'll do my shit over it and right. it's going to come together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's... Because those break,
1: dudes, like the Booker Teen MGs and the Memphis Horns and the Bar and all those guys... Those dudes were all under like twenty five years old.
2: Mm -hmm. And to be fair, too, if you play any of those stacks records from the era, they almost all sound the same. Except, I mean, obviously that one's more got a more guitar, bass, and a different different take on the vocals. But you know what I mean. Very Mm -hmm. solid backing band.
1: Yeah, very important to to him having success. Not only Booker T. as Booker T. Jones. Mm -hmm. um as as a songwriter but steve cropper the guitarist for booker t and the mgs and al jackson jr were the two guys that were kind of pushing for albert king to have success and they probably were in the studio all hours of the night just trying to be like we love this guy's shit, shit we don't know why it's never hit before but like we love it so we're gonna make something out of it yeah and shout out to Duck Dunn for playing bass too.
2: Yeah, right on. <laughs> um, yeah, but, um, so... if, if we're speaking of bands though, right? So people that really made it, like Mike was saying earlier, B.B. B. King and his band, and like Jeff was even saying earlier too, back in the day to really be successful, you really had to have like a good like uh, unit of people behind you. Like Ike had the uh, the Rhythm Kings, later the Ikeats, right? Um, they toured on what was known as the Chitlin Circuit bb king was big in paving that circuit and in um you know like forging it originally and you know being one of the people on it um so you know we're gonna like switch it up and talk about bb king the other one when the second king um bb king is really like i think the template of every blues guitar player afterwards that heard him um i think you kind of have your original set which is like um you know your real, real country, country blues stuff that was in the the Mississippi Delta, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of more rarely recorded. Um, Charlie Patton's, your, yeah, your, your, or or, sound, if,
1: if it was recorded, it sounds like this. It's like, yeah, uh, like through
2: a can.
0: Yeah, yeah the you, the uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson stuff. The right. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be your
2: your first class of blues. That's music. my
1: blues name, Blind Lemon Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That those pictures of him are great. There's like a couple of them. are yeah. He's just like yeah. You're, you're Robert Johnson's, um, but so you have that kind of class, and then BB King is is kind of the 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 gap between the guitar hero and <laughs> um. Mike is making the Jefferson. <laughs> I'm posing. I'm, I'm sorry. am <laughs> for people who don't can't see
0: what we're doing. This makes no sense.
2: It's great um, for
1: podcasting. <laughs>
2: There's like one picture yeah. of him that exists, and it's like – it's just – it's. I think there would be like three, but they all look the same picture. They could be the same Are you one. talking about Robert Johnson? No, well, uh, Blind Love and Jefferson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But – so I would say like BB King is definitely the transition from the original people that literally, I would say, invented the blues into mm. making it the style of music that it is. I think BB King gave it a beat. He gave the he was the first guitar hero. Um, licks. Yeah, won. I think with Willie
0: Dixon and Muddy Waters and those guys, like he is a Chicago blues guy all day. Like if you wanna talk about if you wanna hand somebody something that where somebody says what is Chicago blues, I feel like BB King's pick number one, baby. Right.
2: And he's got like most of his stuff, you know, is got Um, he was the type of player where he really wouldn't sing and play guitar at the same time kind of thing. He would kind of say a line and then whatever line he had sung, his playing would kind of reflect off of that, um, which is like such a great talent. Um, His playing is just so, you know, really what makes the blues, the blues as we know it today. But he came from uh, the Delta, Mississippi was born on a plantation um, and he would like kind of learn from the other original musicians that were all around in the area at the time. That's you know what I mean. A lot of them got started. Um, if we're talking where he first really like gets to playing, it's um on Beale Street in Mississippi, um in Memphis. Played, like what? Memphis. Oh, did I say? When I say Mississippi? Slip of the tongue. There you go. Um, but he would like, so pretty much he would learn and then they all kind of, these musicians would congregate around the same place. Um, Bobby Blue Band, who he would record albums with later in the sixties, a right, amazing singer. And these musicians would kind of, so like, uh, Bobby Bland is more of like a, um, we just, you'd say like a, the original R and B soul singer kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Very mixed with the blues. And then, um, you know, so you kind of got that thing incubating where it's like soul singing r&b uh bb king's definitely more of the blues um and at the time you have these crazy radio stations that like blast halfway across the country um and bb king was doing a lot of those radio things um king biscuit the um the flower mixture back in the day he would do those shows like king biscuit flower hour which actually went on into the 70s and made some of the best bootleg recordings of all time (laughs) but um So that's really where he's cutting his teeth on these radio shows. He's like a young guy. Um, And when he kind of goes to the city, he had taken all these things he had learned from being on the radio and having to prepare a show and getting everything together. And when he really moves to the city, that's where BB King more or less like explodes, I'd say. Um, And it's really like the the personality. You talk about his
1: weight or his personality. Oh, Oh,
2: hey. Hey. Sorry. So at this time, like Mike, how would you say like early BB King guitar, like, like right around the turn where he would really start to get famous, like on cuts, like, um, uh, sweet 16, that kind of stuff. at three o'clock blues. Like for me, Oh, especially three o'clock. Like that, there's kind of, cause these the are like the early B. B. singles King, from the, like the fifties. Yeah. The thing about BB King
0: is that like, if you're talking to other guitar players about like the BB King, quote unquote, the BB King sound, it's. The BB King sound, as it's known today, is still very different than what it actually was in those early recordings. Because in those early recordings, it wasn't it wasn't kind of like that tone rolled back through an ES-335, like that warm, round, fuzzy, sort of woolly kind of sound that would become the BB King sound that we know. Um, it really, back then, especially like 3 o'clock in the morning, like... Those songs, it's still you're still, it's still really early sounding, kind of like early Beatles going through like Vox amplifiers, kind of really? sound. It's that shiny, shimmery kind of glassy tones, rather than like the warm bell tones that BB King would end up being known for, say in like the 19, Seven, you know, so like nineteen so. seventies. Which right. not my favorite, not my
2: favorite era for BB King music, the nineteen seventies. But I don't think they're the worst either i agree um and these early recordings too most of them were done on the label crown and king uh which was the same label that james brown was on um it's mostly a black label a lot of um at the time because you know obviously back in those times it was horrible but you had your really um labels that recorded primarily black artists and then labels that recorded primarily white artists uh king records crown records uh, the same record company and they did a lot of great records but um, that's where some of B.B. King's stuff is on um, and he further gets traction when he gets on better labels uh, as in ABC but um, the early recordings from the 50s um, like we were just saying Sweet Little Angel, 3 O'Clock Blues, Sweet 16 um, are basically some of the best blues songs ever written um, and some of the best like guitar for that point that had ever been you know, recorded um
0: people electric guitar, yeah. Yeah,
2: so when you get like your yard birds in the midst, you know, the British invasion people, that these that was the recordings that they had heard. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. Um so you got all that kind of stuff. And then in you also get for BB King where he like moved even further on the scene, where just I'd say like um like Albert King, um the live stuff really had like a lot more to say. Um, obviously, like I was saying earlier, the King Biscuit flower hours that he used to do, um, like those shows showcase blues in the live setting. And I feel like most blues recordings from that time period that were done in studio kind of suffer from the lack of personality Um, that like BB King live at the Regal. Um, yeah, man, the audience is the other instrument. There you go. It really like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reflects back in such a, mm. a great way. Um, like the storytelling on those songs is really what blows me away. Um, oh, man. When, he's, when he does that whole thing where he's like,
0: um, I bought you a brand new Ford, but you said I want a Cadillac. Yeah. I bought you a $10 dinner. He said, thanks for the snack. I let, you, I let you live in my penthouse. You said it was just a shack. And then the way he ends it, he says, I gave you seven children and now you want to give them back. Like, come on,
2: man. It's amazing. And, I mean, also, come on. the Live uh, live of the Regal, company, you know, 1965, that record's released. First song on it, too, is, uh, you know, Every Day Have the Blues. Well, I mean, such a great kill. And they come and steam it, too. They're like, <laughs> he's
0: like, every day. It's so, like, they play him on. You know, this is still the time where your band played you
2: on and then played you off stage, you know? Oh yeah, and I mean, "Every Day of the Blues" is one of my favorite tunes. Um, another great cover of it is uh the John Mayer Blues Trio does a great version of it. Oh yeah, but, um, I'd say this record too is probably. I mean, this is such a heavy hitter live of the Regal for me. It's my favorite BB King recording. I mean, obviously we have like the classic ones from the uh, the classic recordings and their original versions from the fifties, and those are all well and fine. But for me, the true purest best BB King. Records that were ever released are, for me, B.B. King, uh, Live the Regal, and B.B. King's Live the Cook County Jail. Yeah, Cook Um, County,
0: baby. That's my favorite.
2: Cook County is 71, too. So there's also that to take in mind. But um, I think that album just stands up. It's probably, like, my last favorite thing B.B. King did. Um, Not that his releases are really that bad. They're just kind of so-so and get more... um, Riding with the King? You're not a big fan? There's only so many great blues records you can make, I think. (laughs) you get what i'm saying (laughs) but um
0: i hear that though i hear that
2: but the playing on i mean just i mean just to hear like people like eric clapton talk about um live the regal and what like that record meant for him when he had really listened to it like this is the your basic guitar hero almost every single guitar player has ripped off uh, licks from live the regal um and it really shows like just how great his band was um again this record this record live of the regal has a lot uh, in common with um James Brown's um
1: live at the apollo thank
2: yeah. you um it shows the bands of that era and there's also i don't know the name of it but there's also another great icatina record from 63 that's live that mm-hmm. also shows the power of um like that the chitlin circuit back in the day where you had to get your own bands together get your own show and have your own touring group within yourself. And the people
1: gotta be dancing from the second you fucking hit the stage.
2: Right, right. It's not like there's like a house DJ. You're providing the whole BB King, BB King and his band of <laughs> the entertainment for the evening. You know, so let that's the, all the entertainment for like four hours. You know, so yeah. But I I just really think that BB King is um he's the obviously the most well known that we're talking about. Um, I just think. For me, like, the things that um, he really brought to the blues was just a sense of, like, so- showmanship and the way you can make your guitar uh, be, like, the-, the main, main focus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. bring the electric guitar into the forefront of that kind of, you know? And yeah. show the power
0: of one note.
2: Yeah, that too. Like, bleed a note. Like, really let it... Let yeah. People I think
0: all three... All three of the kings had the ability to do that, you know what I mean like really, really, just kind of hang on a note and give give a lot of emotion into one single note rather than create these sort of complicated phrases, although BB King could do that too, I would say to use a, say to use a patriarchal term that BB King would be considered maybe the first among equals
2: and I also wanted to make a... Uh, this is like not you know, to really first what, among equals. what you just said, but yeah. I'd like to also make the point, too, that I think B.B. King is the most well-known blues player that we're talking about today for another huge reason. B.B. King signed to ABC Paramount Records mm-hmm. in the mid-60s, which would have gave him the best record deal of any blues artist of that time. ABC Paramount also had um, Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. So... Not only do you have Ray Charles on your record, uh, who's arguably the greatest R&B performer that has ever lived, you have B.B. King. So that yep. was that record cup. You know what I mean? So you they really cornered the market on that and pushed B.B. King so hard. There's so many ABC Paramount, B.B. King compilations from the mid-60s. Um, yeah. And I think it really positioned him to um, expand his career out and be that performer that he... You know, with the backing of the record label, like because Jeff was saying, um, like when stacks folded, you know, Albert King really didn't have a place to go, a place to be. He ended up on all these different record labels and yet his legacy was restored in the 80s because of people like Stevie Ray Vaughan it was a bit harder where bb king has always been like um the duke ellington of the blues if you will Mm. Um, yeah yeah right and he because like if you needed somebody to represent the blues like he was duke ellington he was the guy of the blues he was there for every stage of it he saw it uh, transform he saw it go electric all this stuff so i really think that like Good fortune set him right, but he was also always such an avid um, uh, champion of the blues, just as Duke Ellington was for jazz. That you would like that—that's what lays him in that position. He really took on the um, the crown of king, if you will. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think I think another another thing that was a benefit to him. And just another thing that was just happenstance and luck, he he only died five years ago, right? So he yeah. he d- he has he's played with everybody who's ever played because <laughs> he was the longest living of these three guys.
2: Yeah, and it's great too because you're like, I wonder what BB King and John Mayer sound like, and then you're like, oh, there's a video, Dude. and you're like. I wonder what BB King and Clapton sound like. There's a video. I wonder what BB King and Santana sound like. Yeah. I don't even know if there's a video, but there's probably a video. My favorite,
1: yeah. my favorite BB, Ki- <laughs> my favorite BB King thing is not even him playing. I love the video. It's, I think it was maybe the Hollywood Bowl. I'm not really sure of the venue, but it's BB King's All Stars, and it, this song features John Mayer on rhythm guitar, and Derek Trucks on lead guitar. And it's just oh, a yeah. video of Derek Trucks playing a beautiful solo, and then BB King looking at him and, being, and saying, "I think that's the best I've ever heard blues played." And just and he tells him, "Just play that same solo exactly the same again." <laughs> like it's my, it's, yeah, no, it's I, my th- favorite BB King moment of all time.
0: Isn't it one moment where he he looks at Susan Tedeschi, who's Derek Trucks' wife, and he's like, "Oh, now I know why you." Yeah, married he starts making some
1: old like man, this old of... man misogynistic type. <laughs> oh, type yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, I just love the way that he's sitting there, and he just, he reaches over and he holds Derek Trucks' shoulder, and he just looks in his eyes, and he says, "I think that's the best I've ever heard the blues played." I love, right. I love that. I sometimes I just, if I just want to have a feel good moment, I'll just look up that video. <laughs>
2: like, I've probably seen that it. video a hundred times. Yeah, but it—that's what—that's I think that's the magic of BB King, though. That's why he's so like, <sighs> you know what I mean, magnetic. Because like, even if you're not like a fan of the blues, like. BB King, if you watched a BB, he he took you in. There's no doubt in my mind, you know? Also,
0: I wanted to add, too, if you think about it, BB King played with fucking U2. I mean, not that I'm a big U2 fan, but, like, if you think about it, he broke through a whole other thing, which was this Irish stadium rock pop market that all of a sudden everybody, every U2 fan knew who BB King was. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, and he was like 72 years old at the time or something.
0: <laughs> the best is the best is when they're like going over the song with him. And I think the edge is, is trying to like show him like chord changes. And he's like, no, he's like, I, I don't, I don't play chords.
2: He's like, I either sing or I solo. I play
1: guitar. I don't play chords.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's... that was just
2: to me is amazing like that's that always blew my mind too like bb king's playing is that like he does not really play chords and so like watching him play is just like it's just a whole nother monster he doesn't play guitar like anybody else that's what like really is like so captivating for me because like yeah. when he he'll say something and then his hands just like reflect what he just said in a different way without yeah. using words and then most of the time it's it cuts you deeper than what he just said. He's like, I just said something and now I'm going to drive it home with this killer lick and you're going to feel it in your gut. Like I said what it is and now you're going to feel it. You know what I mean? It's just a great, I don't know. He's just always uh, almost too good for words. Like I remember when he passed away, me and Mike, me and Mike just were like, ah, we were so, so heartbroken, but it felt so good at the same time to like blast. The thrill is gone out the window. What, you know what I mean? It was, you know bittersweet
0: yeah and um and the thrill is gone too is another another interesting song because that was like the first time i think what a, like a orchestra like strings were used on like a blues AB- single abc like a blues records single man ballad. they had the budget
2: yeah yeah paramount they were putting yeah jeff and, and I,
0: but i remember i think oh that's gonna like i think it was something to do with like he would if he was doing like a blue song like that, it would like it would kind of count again. It would like, oh. oh, do you guys hear me? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I got like a weird notification yeah, yeah. on the on the app. Right, yeah, you cut right. out. Yeah, it said second. finish now or something. We might only have an hour limit. Dun dun dun. But um... finish up.
1: No we we've every every show we do is no, like, no no whatever. no but I mean for actually
0: recording it. it on the app cuz we usually record it in different ways. And then I put it into oh, the app. Then you put it I'm into letting the out app. my secrets though on on the podcast. <laughs> this is gather yeah, this is trademark information and copyright information by <laughs> the gather. Anyway. Uh I lost I I I'm sorry I completely forgot what the hell I was saying that tripped me up so bad. Oh yeah, yeah. You're so about basically, the yeah, gone. he thought it was he was gonna like lose street cred or something. You know what I mean? Like if he if he was gonna use strings on a thing, that was like a thing. You know, they were like, oh, he's like selling out. He's putting strings on a blue song or whatever. And then it just, I mean, in a way, it kind of he kind of it sold him out. I guess if you want to call it selling out. But in another way, it completely catapulted his career. <laughs> for me, I found him selling yeah, out. It's good like it's when, every, you're, yo, when you're w- when he's doing a commercial for like that one touch insulin test
2: oh, i think, that's not I selling think, out that's I an mean, important, important first, public service i was, service. Like, oh. <laughs> I was- it's the Burger oh, King yeah, commercials, yeah, yeah. man. The yeah. Burger King—that's what you don't want. The the insulin commercial is good for everyone. Yeah,
1: especially a guy who <laughs> needs to be pumping insulin all day to be, uh, no. to be touting
0: Burger King. Well, you know what? Okay, maybe. All right. <laughs> at the end that. of the commercial, then, then,
1: then... He, at the end of the commercial, he loads up a giant shot. Maybe and that, okay, that his makes arm. me feel a little bad that I said <laughs> that.
0: Him doing an insulin commercial is him selling out. But what I mean, it, like, I don't know. I can't really talk. <laughs> about this, <but> I'm sorry. <laughs> What? what? You can't live with sugar? Oh, man. What creates the insulin? Isn't his pancreas?
2: His,
0: so his pancreas. Yeah. Oh,
2: my God. What, Mike, the thrill is
0: gone. Yeah. The, the pancreas is gone. Is gone. We, <laughs> might have to take, we might have to take a break and reconnect this bad boy. So why don't we take a quick break uh, and then uh, we'll come back. We'll start a new thing so we can finish the rest of this off on Freddie King and our in-conclusions and also's. So we'll be right back.
1: Have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you? Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e., comedians. They know and talk feelings every Friday. Hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz and emote over their emo phase check out feel feelings with danny and george a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them
0: and we're back all right so moving on we we left off with bb
2: oh wait can i ask a question real quick
0: yeah please do
2: jeff can you smell or taste
1: I'm tasting these delicious not-pita chips. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so those of you who listened to the most recent episode, I had COVID. But who knows if I had COVID? Because <laughs> I, had a, I had a negative test. Three days later, I had a positive test. Started isolating, but they sent me results that were conflicting on that second test. So I, the day I started isolating, I went and got another test, and that test came back negative and the lady said out of the thousands of people thousands of caseloads she has handled she has none that weren't rapid testing where someone had a positive and then a negative within 4 days hmm. and and i'm you... i'm reading up reading scientific journal articles like i'm a fucking scientist but like Trying the, to figure out yeah but the the false positive rate for the i think it's p pnr pcr whatever the acronym for the Accurate testing, which is what I got. The false positive rate is like 0.02%. Damn. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a false positive. The way she explained it was maybe it just like dipped into the like positive for that day. Like the viral load. But then it was like it was just at the threshold. And Oh, right. But I was just like, well, the one... The thing I was hoping to get out of this fucking week of isolation was, at the very least, I won't be so paranoid about getting COVID in the next two months because you can't get it again. But now I'm like, well, I'm probably going to get it at fucking Walmart tomorrow, so who knows? <laughs> like, I don't know.
2: Dude, I went to Walmart the other day. I, I thought they were still open 24-7. They're not. No. Um they're lining, they had people lining up outside and I was, I just, so I went to walk in the building and I'm like, it was like 10 minutes before seven. I'm like, oh, is it not open? And they're like, no. I was like, are you guys just waiting outside? And like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to get back in my car. Like, But they were all like crammed near the door. I'm like, uh, I'm out of here.
1: Anyway, so we're just bullshitting. Can, we'll start, the, we'll like cut out all this early stuff and then
0: Uh, Oh, all right. Bring this
1: in, master ceremonies.
0: Three minutes and 24 seconds. That's where I got to cut it off. All right. What's going on, fellas? Welcome back. How you doing? I had to go take a pizza out of the oven. Is that a euphemism? No. I literally just had to do that. Oh, okay. But anyway, speak of pizza, Freddie King was born. (laughs) 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 Freddie King was born. Freddie Pepper, the third, 1934, <laughs> the two loving parents in the small Texan town of Gilma, Texas. Uh, his like musically, he didn't really, He, you know, I mean, he um, he did get a guitar early on in his childhood, but I think things like really got serious for him when uh, as a teenager, he moved to Chicago. Didn't his brother did have a brother?
1: I don't think he had a yeah, brother, maybe King. Have you been paying attention?
0: BB <laughs> King baby, baby King, King. <laughs> um, The thing about Freddie King is like his career it's not like it was really that long in comparison mm-hmm. like if you're gonna compare his everything of his to um, to say BB or Albert for sure I mean Albert one might call a uh, sort of a late bloomer in terms of his uh, musical career recognition. Freddie King was just kind of like, he was like Haley's Comet. You know, he he came, he's, you know, everything happened and then he's gone. Next thing you know, he's gone. So like, I mean, his career really starts in like 59-ish. He signs with federal records. And if you think about it,
2: 59, and then I think 74 he died? Federal is also a subsidiary of Crown King Records. Mm. Yes. Just for some reference point there. Yeah, 76
0: he 70, 60 died at the age of 42. But yeah, 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 it was the, it was the, uh, the subsidiary, yeah, of, of uh, Cincinnati uh, King Records. So, um, yeah, on Federal Records, this is where you get, like, the big hit, uh, released in 1960 was have you have you ever loved a woman um that i mean at least for me like one of like well, i think one of his like best shining moments i mean eric Clapton covers that on uh Derek and the dominoes they do the song have you ever loved a woman and uh that pretty much like put him up onto the charts and he started getting recognition but the thing was with him too was that even though like he lived in chicago and he was Hanging around with all these session guys, all the Chicago guys, Willie Dixons, your Muddy Waters, and so on—like all these, all these guys. Like he, he kept getting shot down by uh, Chess Records. Like I don't think he actually ever signed to Chess. He did not. No, yeah, it's his contract. Yeah, with Federal ended in '66, and then uh, he ended up signing uh to atlantic
2: yeah uh also
0: and no and then you get those are his two big albums um my feeling for the blues and uh freddie king is a blues master freddie king is a blues master one of my favorite records of his and then getting ready is another one that i really really uh, i really love um
2: did you happen to listen to uh freddie king sings his first record that was released
0: um, was along that... with
2: "Let's Hide Away" with Freddie King those first two albums on Federal Records. Um, like "Let's Hide Away." Uh, oh yeah, yeah, which is yeah. like more instrumental based, which I thought was really cool. I mean, because I I like listened to it and it was very much more like instrumentally like um kind of stuff. Um, and it was I felt it was like way different from like um the other two that we're talking about too because it was more like um it was more like uh I want to say like. More like, um, probably like the the dirtiest. Is that like a is that a good the um grittiest the gritty yeah, kind of? Yeah, because yeah. it's more of that like you know that the, the Yeah, no. the instrumental blues too, being pretty different from the other two. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least early.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing. Uh, the thing.
0: I, one of the things I really love about him is. Well, there's a co- there's a couple of different things. Like, okay, famously, he, you know, he's also known for playing like the ES three thirty five, just like BB uh, King did. But he also famously played a-, a Les Paul, like a gold top Les Paul with T nineties in him. Um, what's really cool about him too, that is unlike Freddie, I mean, I'm sorry, unlike uh, Albert or BB, was that Freddie actually used like banjo style finger picks on each individual finger that he, uh, each of his individual fingers, which was different, much different. The attack is much different in that way where like, especially if it's on like the tips of your fingers, you know, when you, when you go to play a note, you're pulling that note instead of picking it. You know what I mean? It's, so it's much more, a lot of his attack was a lot more like an up stroke, say like an up pick than a down would pick. You, um, would you
2: say he was almost like a more polished, I mean, obviously cause he's also a Texas blues player, but, um, lightning hopkins because lightning's got a lot of that like dum, 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 oh dum, dum, yeah dum, yeah yeah i mean there's dum, no up up kind of strokes
0: yeah there's no doubt that i think that that influence is definitely there the lightning hopkins influence on freddie king yeah because because i mean if you think about it in a in a, in a in a funny way like like say like what muddy waters was to bb king is kind of like what lightning hopkins was to freddie king you in know in, in a sense that like lightning hopkins was kind of part of that, like, the old country sort of club, you know, where Muddy Waters obviously passed that and, like, went to Chicago and became, like, a famous Chicago blues musician guy too. But it's – there's more – you know what I mean? Like, the roots are still in the country blues. Um, but, yeah, man, and the, and the other thing that I love about Freddie King and that has absolutely nothing to do with his music but absolutely everything to do with his death is the fact – that this dude basically never ate, but instead would just 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 his diet consisted of Bloody Mary. Oh yeah, because the dude was always on the road. If you think about it, he was he was another one. He was as I'm sure Albert, as I'm sure BB was like, yeah, you're the money that you make is you go and you play you go play hall. Like it's all about shows, baby. You have the traveling band and all that. And, yeah, instead of actually eating, he would just drink Bloody Marys, uh, and then he just died because he had, like, these crazy – he died of, like, these crazy bad stomach ulcers. deteriorating <sighs> deteriorating health. And then once you mix that with the fact that I'm sure the dude never fucking drank water, like, let's be real. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he There's um, water and vodka? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> basically, though. Basically. Um – yeah, he had pancreatitis too, but he was only forty two years old, man. I mean, that's that's what's crazy about this. Is like if you think about it this way, I mean, when did you say Albert King kind of became successful? Mid sixties, sixty six,
1: sixty seven.
0: And how old was he then? Forty one, forty two. Four you're right, right. So Albert King is at, at, at in the same in the similar place in his life. Out Al, here's Albert King like starting to become like a made guy.
1: Yeah, I mean on. <laughs> On that note of the substance abuse stuff, something that I found when I was researching Albert King, the dude smoked like a chimney. He had a pipe in his mouth almost all the time. But he yeah. said he never touched a drop of alcohol or never did any drugs and never let any of his band members do those things because he just saw how it derailed people's lives and careers.
0: Right, right. So that's interesting, too, to think about, like, in a sense, like Albert, who... Right was like you said, like 41 at the time of him, like really starting to like become like a, you know, like picking, picking up and stuff like that. It's interesting because like he was, he unlike the other guys who kind of got big at a younger age, him getting big at a little bit of an older age, seems like he was kind of, as a result of that, he was kind of able to keep out like some of the riffraff, you know, keep out some of the, the bad sides of like the touring group and all that, which a guy like Freddie King would fall victim to. Which is just relentless tour schedules, constant shows, and just having to like stay on top of shit. So basically, all you do is just you drink Bloody Marys, you eat the you, you eat the uh, the celery stalk, a couple of olives a pickle.
2: So nasty.
0: Tomato juice, salt and pepper, baby. All so gross. You go, you know? Ugh,
2: it is gross. So gross. I I'd say but, I'd say Freddie King too. Like Mike was saying, like towards super heavily, but um, I think what like really. Because, like, you really have, like, two two parts of his career, right? You kind of have, like, the early part where he had, like, these instrumental hits in Hideaway and then some early vocal hits. Um, Federal and King kind of, like, juice him for all he's worth, right? Kind of kind of thing. Um, and then he kind of gets picked up by ABC. They do two records that are okay. He's a blues master. He's a great record. But, uh, like, I think his... With the like obviously the early stuff is like the quintessential, but I'd say probably at least in my world the lasting legacy record is is that record getting ready released on Shelter, um, oh, yeah. which is the reason I think that was so successful. Which is obviously like we were talking earlier is the label. So Shelter Records was set up by Leon Russell <laughs> and producer um, uh, Danny Cordell who did the early hits of the Who and the Kinks in England. Um, so. Shelter Records, though, was really a musician's label. Um, Tom Petty's first two records are on Shelter. Um, Leon Russell's stuff is on Shelter. Um, a, a lot of cool stuff like came out on that record. But um, Leon Russell plays on "Getting Ready." Um, what's that song? "Going Down." You the, the piano on that? Oh yeah, that's Leon Russell. You that, now that I I don't know if you've <coughs> yeah. known that, but like if you didn't, now you know. Cause it's that yeah. something gospely piano,
0: and
2: isn't that the theme, the theme
1: song it's for He's East, and life. Down?
2: Hell yeah, it is, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: Um, but yeah, like that, that stuff, like that's what I really found when I was listening to, to him. Because, um, I, when I listened to it, I thought like the instrumental stuff was like super great, super of its area. It was Texas, so it was a different style of blues, and then when you get to the later stuff, like because that album I was just talking about with Leon Russell, that's 71. I feel like he really just took to adapting with the sound of, of like what they were doing. And and instead of fighting like the new sound, like maybe, uh, how the wolf doesn't like this album, you know, that kind of stuff where they were really fighting the sound. And then like, he's like, Nope, just let's make it heavy. Let's rock it. Let's, you know, get it rolling backbeat on it. It's like, that song to me sounds like a, um, it's like, a, I mean, it's definitely a Leon Russell production. It's very it's, um, yeah. you know, it's got all the stuff on it, but it's still at the core, like uh, one of the most rock and blues songs of the era. And it cuts through all that other like um, I'm not going to say this in quotes, but like Zeppelin-y type blues heavy rip-offs because it's the original thing. He's that guy. And so like it's yeah. really cool to have like a heavier blues record in getting ready in 71 where you like I can really appreciate like him making a have that because that record to me is like is a heavy blues record, right? I mean,
0: yeah, definitely. It's definitely
2: got like that. That song's got definitely more, um more in common with like you know, like the humble pies and Fleetwood Max of the late '60s than it does with like the Freddie King sings. I would say, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You He's know? definitely the most rock and roll out of the out of the three kings.
2: Yeah, I, I, say- I love
1: oh, watching hey. his early '70s. Like TV performances, that's pretty much the extent of what I know of Freddie King. Like, go on YouTube and just look up Freddie King, and you'll see him with his red es three three five, and he's just oh, having a blast. Huge lapels, huge lapels like mut- I think he had mutton chops, <laughs> yeah. um, and he's just smiling and rocking, and the yeah, the music just kicks. It's
2: that, that's a much great way more rock it, and roll. That's a de- great way to put it, Jeff. Like, if you're gonna try to like say what's different about the three the three kings is, like, I would say he's definitely more of the rock and roll one where like he would kind of take that influence and really like, you know, kind of run with it more like, you know, Chuck Chuck Berry Mm -hmm. kind
1: of thing
2: where like the rest of them were more like, I'm going to stick more to the 12 bar and kind of like do it there. But, you know, they weren't afraid to be like, well, if it's going to have a bridge and it's rocking, whatever, I don't give a shit, let's play, you know?
1: He also played, out of three, he like, his style, I don't know what came first, the style or like the sound he was playing but he like has the most proficiency of notes like he he plays the most like he's mm-hmm. the most like playing like like the other guys kind of like sat mm-hmm. in the pocket and played vocal phrases and freddie king kind of just like riff notes
2: yeah thank you that's like i was trying to like articulate it like a little bit more but like it's yeah. more of the way like as eric clapton is so influenced by bb king eric clapton still had to play notes and all the uh chords and all the bands that he was in and keep like a rhythm going where like and, and that's like the more of the style of electric guitar that everybody does today where you learn chords and you know what i mean soloing where it's like yeah. both are really more of like every guitar player really does both nowadays. I feel like he was kind of the first, like bringing that together with like more Mm -hmm. of like great songwriting structure of pop music and blues, you know, mixed together with all that great rock and roll stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, I think so. So good assessment of the three Kings, man. I mean, I think, um, like we said, you know, Freddie, if you want more of those hard hitting, hard rocking blues, Freddie King's your guy. If you are, like, if you want, like, a nice... I, the way I would think about it with BB, a nice uh, cruise, a nice... nice Riding with the king, with like baby. You love <laughs> Riding with the king, yeah, yeah. Keeping it classy, keeping it classy blues, you know? Yeah. And then uh, Albert, Albert to me, is sort of more of a... Uh, more of a, a, a preacher of blues. Yeah, good way to put it. You know, say, you know, so uh, so all three... Obviously laid the foundation down for a lot of the you know the blues that would follow. Um, and, uh, and all three are incredible in their own right. Can I just give know?
2: a quick, real fast? Um, if we're doing yeah. Freddie King records. You want to do Freddie King sings uh, "Let's Hide Away and Dance" with Freddie King, and I would definitely shout out "Getting Ready." Um, those three records are killer. Um, yeah, Albert King, uh, "Born Under a Bad Sign" album on Stacks. Also, uh, is that album called Blues Power Live at the Fillmore? Yeah, Live
1: Wire, Blues Power. Yep.
2: There you go. Those two records um, for Albert King, I would say, really sum up like what he's all about in the greatness of him. Also, you get a great studio and a great live in that. And then Ruby yeah. King, um, I would search out the early. Um, uh, crowd record singles so like a greatest hits will do for that Um, for the early 50s recordings and then I would yep. really just say Live at the Regal and um Live at Cook County Jail yeah. are really would shout out like those artists perfectly for me and would give you like that is what I would listen to that's like the, the classic canon of those artists I guess right, right. yeah
0: yeah 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 so I, I would throw in maybe like Live and Well and maybe Completely yeah. Well for BB King if you want to go a little bit a little bit later but I'd say late '60s, early '70s is pretty much where I start so, sort of start to tap out on BB King. Yeah, definitely. Like we said earlier, I, I don't I don't hate his '70s stuff, but <laughs> it's not my favorite. I don't think it's the best of what he has to offer. I think the earlier stuff is what he has the best. And don't forget, while you're... but if you want something later, he does. There's a good BB King live at the Apollo. It's just a fun. It's a fun little album. It's nothing crazy. It's you know it's a little bit later. I want to say maybe it's like late '80s, even maybe early '90s. He does a, sh- a live show at the Apollo. Not terrible for later, BB King. But and
1: while you're celebrating again. the holidays this weekend, make sure you're spinning Backdoor Santa by BB King.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Um. So hopefully we'll be able to make a companion piece to this. I don't know if you guys want to get you know maybe hop on and, and do one or one of us. You know, we'll figure we'll figure something out. But uh, at some point we'll try to do a Spotify companion piece to this that uh where we maybe add like three songs from each artist all three songs that we kind of feel like best exemplify all three all three artists kind of thing too so (laughs) you know we might have that down in the road in the future here this week but either way don't forget to like us and subscribe and, and you know rate us and all that fun stuff on uh apple podcast spotify podcast Google podcast and all that stuff too so I've been Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jeff and Luke, it was nice to see you guys. guys. Even though we have we haven't been able to see each other in like real life. Yeah,
2: you know that ambiguous Uh,
0: COVID.
1: It's
2: it's a
0: tricky one. She's a she's she's a sneaky beast that Covita. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Anyway,
2: holidays, wear a mask. Distance, yeah, wash your hands. Uh, and making yourself comfortable is what's most important. Yeah, and wear your mask over your nose. Yeah,
0: that... just, just wanted to throw that one out. There. And
1: your eyes, just in case. And your
0: eyes. <laughs> in fact, don't even, don't even, don't even don't, breathe. See, just don't move. Don't see Stay voice. in one house and then one room in the house, and not, then don't move.
1: And spin those records, man.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, I've been Mike. Look at Jeff we love see you guys ya. make sure you get in the garage peace, we'll
1: see peace. The next time this has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network for more information and
2: links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com podcasts